Good morning. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 32. Sounds like we're about there. Verse 14 says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he answered, and he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has, he been, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee and did not... And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. Would you pray with me? God, as we dig into your word this morning, I pray that the hearts of my brothers and sisters would be open to hear your word. I pray that you would use my mouth to bring glory to your name. And God, I ask most of all that you would speak, O oh Lord. That you would be here with us. That you would show us your glory. And that you would use this text to further our cause for Christ in this world. Bless us now. 
We love you. Amen. So how we're going to start this morning is I'm going to walk through the text that I just read. I'm going to give little highlights of things that I thought about as I was going through, and then we're going to, uh, this is going to sound weird, I only have one point for the whole message, so usually the three-point sermon, I only have one today, so we're going to have one point, and then we're going to apply that one point, so um, it's probably only take about 45 minutes. So. Okay, Mark 9, keep your Bibles open, I hope you haven't shut them or haven't closed the app, however you... Read the word. I want to remind you of last week when Pastor Chuck was going through the beginning of Mark 9. We talked about the transfiguration. Jesus took three of his disciples, three of his apostles, up the mountain, and he met with Moses and Elijah, and his whole being was transformed. This was one of two amazing events, massive events during the ministry, during the life of Jesus. I would say, the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration of Jesus. This transformed Jesus into what I would say is the glorified picture of what Jesus is going to become. This was life-changing for James, John, and Peter. They walked down the mountain. We enter our text for today. We find the other nine disciples or apostles arguing with the scribes. The scribes is a fancy way for the teachers of the law, usually Jewish people. So we've got the other nine fighting with the Jews while there's a big crowd. The crowd runs to Jesus. There's three things said about him. They were greatly amazed. I'm not sure if he was still glowing from the mountain or not, But the crowd, picture this, this monstrous crowd of people running to Jesus, greatly amazed. They ran up to him and they greeted him. They wanted to get close. They wanted to touch him. They knew something just happened. They know his reputation and they just know something, so they want to be near him. What does Jesus say? Jesus asked, what are you arguing about? Do you see the answer? Can I get the text put up here? Thank you. I'm probably going to reference. Look up there. So, what was the answer to Jesus's or to the question, "What are you arguing about?" When he addressed his disciples, no answer was given. Why? This guy shows up and starts saying, "Hey, I brought my son." my boy, to your, your disciples. He has an evil spirit in him, and they couldn't do anything about it. How does Jesus respond? Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you? How long am I to be with you? He is... Sad, he's frustrated. Remember where he just came from. He just had a meeting with the Father. He had a meeting with Moses and Elijah. He walks out of this. He sees the Jews, his people, arguing with his disciples. And they can't do the thing that Jesus called them to do. 
O faithless generation. Jesus then just starts discussing the condition of this boy. This might be the most gruesome spirit described in the scriptures. This story describes a boy who's convulsed at the very sight of Jesus. Jesus walks up, freaks out, the spirit inside him. He's trying to throw him into water to destroy him. He's trying to throw him into fire to destroy him. He's seizing at the mouth. He's grinding his teeth. He's more vivid at describing this demon, this evil spirit, this unclean spirit, than almost any other time in Scripture. This was bad. I thought about trying to make this more real for you. I tried to figure out a way that I could invoke the emotion of this father for you. And I thought, I don't, I can't really see. This light's really bright. Do I have a young man? How old are you, Joseph? 15. Perfect, come here. <laughs> Who knows Joseph here? Yeah? yeah? You're liked, see? I, I didn't ask if they liked you, I guess, did I? I just said they know you. Um, who likes Joseph here? Okay, even more than like you. You should stay anonymous. Um, this child, this boy, was convulsing at the mere sight of Jesus. And he had been doing this, Jesus said, or the father said to Jesus, since childhood. So if I took a five-year-old boy... And I said, at five years old, he started to convulse. He started to have these seizures. He started to have these things that would rip his being apart. And you were his dad. Or you were his mom, and you saw this. And you saw him. You don't know what Joseph's going to do. I know you're older than that. It's okay. Uh, you didn't know if Joseph was going to run out the door and jump into the ocean, or into the sea, into the lake, and try to drown him. Every day you're worried. Every day you feel the weight of what this young man... I know he's feeling really awkward up here. <laughs> you, you have no idea what he's about to do next. This is kind of true for Joseph. You don't know what he's about to do. Is he going to start grinding his teeth to the point that he has no teeth that he can't eat? Is he just going to start foaming from the mouth? Is he going to go like rage out on someone and try to kill, hurt, do something to somebody? Who knows what this boy can do. And yet, from five years old up to 15 years old, we'll say, I'm at taking liberties, his parents, his father, have dealt with this. Do you want to practice seizing on the floor or doing anything uh, like that? Thank you. No? No. So, this is the 15-year-old boy in this moment. He, what would his demeanor look like? You want to try to play it out? What, what, what would you look like if you were demon-possessed? I'm kidding. You can go back. <laughs> I haven't heard a clap in here in a while. So, Joseph, thank you for being the first in two months that I ever got a clap. What I want you to do is I wanted you to put a face to this. Ten years, this father, I mean... If you were that father, what would you do? If you had a son like this, if you were a mother, if you were an older brother or younger sister who were seeing their brother go through this every day, 
the unknown of life. We think our lives are unpredictable or chaotic just with any kids, right? This would tear you apart. You would be desperate. You would do anything possible to find relief for not only your son, but for your wife, for, for your, yourself. If you're the father, I will do anything. I would walk across Asia to find a solution to help my son. This, boy, this father is desperate. He will do anything after 10 years of trying to take care of a son who's going to try to kill himself every turn he takes. This is Jesus talking to this father, seeing his son convulsing. How long has he been doing this? Since childhood. If I was this man, I would be weeping. Probably uncontrollably. Jesus asked the father another question. Or wait. Let me make sure I'm on the right page. I shouldn't walk around. I lose my place. The father says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us. Jesus says to him, if you can. I struggled with this. What is Jesus saying? If you can. He's repeating the line that the father just said to him. If, if I can do this, you come to me, you ask me to do something, and you say, if you can, this is Jesus. Of course he can. Of course he can do anything. Jesus then says kind of a surprising line I, wanna, I want you to think about. All things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible for the one who believes. Do you believe that? I'm seeing no no's and I'm seeing no yeses. Do you believe that all things are possible for the one who believes? Really? In verse 25, Jesus is standing there with the father. He's seeing the boy convulsing. And then he sees the crowd who is over here running towards him again. And immediately he says, well, I don't know exactly what he says. He says he rebukes the unclean spirit. Get out of him and never return. The spirit came out in verse 26 so violently that the boy looked like a corpse to the level that everyone around him says he's dead. This evil spirit killed the boy. You think the father thought the spirit killed his son? What do you think was going through his mind in this moment? Jesus, I came to you. You said you could help. And now you've killed my son. What did Jesus do? He reached down. He took him by the hand. He lifted him up. And he arose. I noticed in the Greek, the word he arose is the same word as resurrect. I don't know if this boy died and Jesus brought him back to life. I don't know if he 
just looked dead and Jesus woke him up? But Jesus took maybe the worst evil spirit we see in Scripture and rebuked him in a word and then pulled this child back up and says, basically, he's fine now. How long did it take Jesus to do his work? In verses 28 and 29, the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this spirit? His response begs a couple questions, one of which I have no answer. This kind of spirit must be dealt with by prayer. This kind. Are there types of demons that are more powerful than others? Are there different levels of demons? I have no idea. I want to ask you the question, is there a demon that is out of reach for Jesus? Is there any demon that's more powerful than Jesus himself? Is there any demon, is Satan himself more powerful than Jesus? Not a bit. No. I want you to remember something that our world tells us seems to be an even fight. And sometimes we discuss and talk about things where we think Satan and Jesus are equal powers and they're battling. In comparison to our Lord, Satan is pathetic. I mean, Jesus didn't have to do anything but say, get out. And the demon had no power. This unclean spirit ran away immediately. That's our Lord. That's how much power your God has. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So prayer is his answer to the tough spirits. And I believe it is fair to say that prayer should be the answer to all of our challenges in life. Jesus wants us focused on God. Prayer is the way to keep us humble before him. We need to remember that whatever God calls us to do, that we must keep our attention on him to be able to accomplish it. Prayer focuses our faith. That's me walking through the text. Those are my thoughts, getting into the weird mind of Adam. That's what I thought when I walked through. So what does God want us to focus on in this passage? What is his main point? Is it how people like to seem to argue with one another? When the crowd and the disciples and the scribes are all fighting with one another? Or how evil this unclean spirit was to this boy. Is that what he wants us to think about? How about how Jesus raises the boy after the spirit comes out of him? I believe Jesus has one simple message in this passage for us to take on today. Jesus cares about our faith. He says, O faithless generation, that's his rebuke. He says, all things are possible for the one who believes. So, whose faith should our faith be like? I see four different groups in this passage. The faith of the scribes. Do you argue with Jesus? 
Do you come to him with a critical spirit? I think sometimes we do. We come like the scribes, wanting our answers in our timing. We want our prayers responded to in the way that we want them responded to. Who are you, God, to not give me what I deserve? These are thoughts that pass through most of our heads. I've served you for years. Why can't you just do this for me? That's the faith of the scribes. The faith of the crowd. Do you come to be amazed by Jesus? That sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Being amazed by Jesus is great. Do you come for entertainment? The faith of the disciples in verse 19. Do you know Jesus to be who he is, but yet fail in your faith to accomplish what he has called you to do? Do you have all the right knowledge and yet struggle to live out the power that he has placed in us by his spirit? That was the failure of the disciples. They knew who Jesus was. They knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was the coming Savior. They, they saw the power he had. And they didn't live out what he called them to do. How about the faith of the father of the boy in verse 24? Do you come humbly to Jesus in desperation and honest about your weaknesses, including your lack of faith? I believe Jesus calls us to come broken, humble, knowing our need. At times we fail in all the ways above when it comes to our faith. God wants us to come to him humbly and honest, knowing our weaknesses and our sin, and be amazed by Jesus like the crowd was. He also wants us to go bravely into the world to fulfill Jesus' mission like the disciples tried to do. But we need to remain in a prayer-filled state. If we're going to accomplish what Jesus calls us to do, we have to be prayer-filled. I'm going to go back to something I pushed earlier. According to Jesus, what can be done by those who believe? All things. What can stop the church of God, the ones who believe? What's impossible? We look out into our culture and our world, and we think the mountains are too big, the issues are too much, the divisions are too wide. What power do we have to fix this world? We see sinners sin. What can we do? Yet Jesus calls to his disciples and says, all things are possible for those who believe. If Jesus walked in here this morning, would he say, oh faithless generation, how long must I bear with you? I believe he said this to his disciples who knew the right things and failed to walk out what he had, they had known. 
And he said, oh, faithless generation, how long do I have to wait? How long do I have to be with you? How long do I have to bear you? That's sobering. I think of that for myself. How am I weak in my faith? How do I not live out what he's called me to do? So, I wrote, how to overcome unbelief. And the first thing I thought of is I need the promises of God. I need to know the word of God to be able to overcome unbelief. How am I to go if I don't know what I'm supposed to do when I go? So I've written down a list of promises that I pray will encourage your hearts. You are to know that your Lord can cast out even the worst kinds of demons. He is all-powerful. You should know that God can heal all diseases. You should know that the long-awaited Messiah came as he was prophesied about and he accomplished everything his father sent him to do. You should know that the king still reigns over this world. He has not taken one foot away from his throne. He is still on the throne. In the chaos of our world, he still reigns perfectly. Know that the spirit of God that is living in you, that's leading you, he's empowering you to fulfill his will He's empowering you to accomplish everything God has called you to do. When you go out and do what God calls you to do, you need to remember that. I need to remember that. That everything he's told me to do, he's giving me the power to accomplish. Know that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1. Know that he who died had the power to raise himself from the dead and the promises and promises to do the same to all who believe in him. Your future is secure because of Jesus' work on the cross. Know that all who are called by him were predestined to adoption, justified by the work of Jesus on the cross, and he will carry you into glory to be with him forever. What can man do to me? If that is the plan, if that is God's will for me, if that's God's will for you, is before the foundations of the world, he predestined you to be his. He's called you, he's declared you righteous before him, and he promises to take you to glory with him. What can't you walk out those doors to accomplish? you got God in you and for you. Do you know how much God loves you? He sees every sin that you've ever committed. He knows every thought, every evil intention that you've ever had. And he looks at you and says, I love you. He knows you. What sin that you've committed or will commit, 
is going to push you or separate you from the love of God. Paul makes that clear in Romans 8. Nothing will. Can Satan himself separate you from God? Nope. So you could walk boldly where Satan has domain, and you can walk boldly into that place and say, my Lord has power over you, and he lives in me. I also want you to know that the worst marriages can be reconciled. There is no, how do I say this? There is no no hope in God. That's terribly said, I'm sorry. All family dysfunction can be redeemed. And do you know that your sin is not too much for Jesus to forgive? If you know these truths from what God has told us and revealed to us by Scripture, by the inspiration of His Holy Spirit, when He sends you out to do what He wants you to do, how much faith should you have? Or what kind of faith? It should be unwavering. These are the promises. This is one thing the Word gives to us, is boldness to walk out and see a demon-possessed boy and walk up to it, to him, and say, get out of him and never return, just like our Lord did. We can walk into the worst scenarios. We can walk into a, an infectious disease hospital because what can, what can this world do to us? We are destined for glory. We have a home. It's not of this world. I hope that encourages your faith. I hope that gives you strength to do what God has called you to do so you're not like Jesus' nine disciples who are arguing and could not cast out this demon. I'm not sure what God has called each of you to do. But he says, all things are possible for those who believe. I pray that our faith is not stunted by our culture. I pray that our faith is not weakened because maybe of our biblical illiteracy. Maybe we didn't know the words. We didn't know the promises that God has told us about who we are. This faith should drive us. If you know more about God and see him at work in this world, then he will be more trustworthy to you. And when temptation or doubt or fear come to you, then you will be better equipped to overcome your unbelief. So with the father of this boy, we proclaim to our Savior, I believe, help my unbelief. If you have never given your life to Jesus, I want you to think about who this Jesus is that we've been talking about this morning. And is he worthy of your life? Is this faith in him worth it? Is it valuable enough? And if so, I want you to spend the rest of the time that I'm going to be talking up here, I want you to talk to him. If you're here today and you are struggling with your faith or having serious doubts or questioning why you're here this morning at all, 
God is here. He can handle your fear. He can handle your doubts. I ask you to give them to him today as well. Whatever doubts you came in here with, is he real? Are all my prayers just bouncing off the ceiling? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Am I just spinning my wheels in this world? If you are dealing with these doubts in your heart, in your mind right now, I guarantee you Jesus is the answer. Faith is the answer. I implore you not to keep your doubts to yourself. The body is meant to encourage you through those times. I know some of you are struggling with doubts that you've not told people because you think, what are they going to think if I share that? Many of you have struggled with doubt. Many of you don't have the faith that you desire to have right now. Be bold. Tell someone. Let them help you. Tell me. I want to help you. For the rest of you who aren't struggling with your faith and have already given your life to Christ, I want to conclude by telling you a little bit about the passage that... Uh, we'll go to the next one? That we haven't talked about yet. One more. Here we go. They went on from there and passed through Galilee... And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching the disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he, kill, and he, when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Jesus is prophesying his death for the second time to his disciples. The first time, <laughs> I don't know if you remember it, Get behind me, Satan, is what he says to Peter. When Peter says, No, 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 you can't die. No, no, don't do that. The text today says, they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Well, if I was Peter, I would be afraid too. He is powerful enough to raise him from the dead, himself from the dead. He can raise you from the dead. I pray for all of you who are questioning that you would be bold and I pray that all of you who do not know him would cling to him. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your spirit to move in us this morning. I pray for those who are doubting you and I pray for those who do not have faith in you that they would cling to that cross. In the cross is forgiveness. In the cross is the righteousness of Christ. In the cross is the promise for eternal life. In the cross is everything that we need. I pray that you would drive us, push us back to your cross so that we would cling to you again in the forgiveness that you offer for all of our sins. We know that we are weak we know that we have doubts. We know that we have unbelief in our hearts. I pray now that you would root all of that out, that you would eradicate unbelief from our lives, and that we would be able to live out the power that you have given us by your Holy Spirit, by the faith you have given us, 
we need you, Father. We can't do this life alone. We cannot mend relationships. We cannot reconcile the world to you without you. So we cling to you as one. We love you. We need you. Bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen.